Welcome to the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast, a view of culture, current events, and politics through a biblical lens. Brought to you by Compassion International, a worldwide ministry bringing hope and Jesus to children in need. Visit CrawfordMediaGroup.net and click on the Compassion logo to sponsor a child. And now, here are your hosts, Neil Boron, Bob Duco, Roger Marsh, and John Rush. And happy to be back with you folks for another week of the National Crawford Roundtable uh, with John, Roger, Neil, myself, Bob Duco. Gentlemen, how are you this week? Doing good well, Bob. Good to be here, Bob. How you doing? Hey, Bob, oh, yeah. Good. Always good catching up with you guys. Okay, so this week... Uh, we're going to talk about something that is really connected to a big news story from last week, uh, and that is the whole Texas power crisis that happened with those wind turbines and the freezing weather. Thankfully for the people in Texas and the surrounding states, the temperature has been going up. Actually, it's supposed to uh, be kind of a heat wave going through Texas right now. So uh, they're really dealing with all kinds of weather fluctuations. But now – that the freezing is over with, there's a lot of reflection being done on the energy problem that they had in Texas and how to make sure something like this doesn't happen going forward. So uh, as we all know, and we've seen in the news reports, Texas has kind of decided to go the way of California and a lot of other states in that they're uh, relying more on forms of renewable energy, okay, like these wind farms, these wind turbines. And in Texas, uh, wind and renewable energy ended up accounting for 23% of the energy generated in Texas with all of the fossil fuels and oil and everything there in Texas. Uh, 23% is a pretty big percentage to depend on. Well, the freezing weather comes, and guess what? These wind turbines froze up. About half of them did. And so consequently, people couldn't get power. They were uh, freezing. And at this point, uh, we've heard somewhere in the neighborhood of 70 to 80 deaths uh, in the area. We don't know how much higher that may end up being when all the dust settles. Uh, But it does beg the question of how we look at the issue of wind farms, renewable energy, and such. Now, I, my position has always been I'm all for any kind of energy. I'm not anti-renewable energy. If, if you can use wind, solar in a way that's going to be effective, reliable, consistent, and cost-effective, then hey, sure, why not? Uh, but if we don't have all of that stuff, then it doesn't seem to me that we ought to be risking the kind of stuff that happened in Texas last week and the rolling uh, the the, uh, the rolling blackouts and such we've had in California for so long if we don't have a sense of reliability and cost effectiveness with these renewable energies. So seems to me they've got to do some serious reassessing on this, but I'd love to go around the table and get everybody's thoughts about what happened in Texas and really 14 different uh, surrounding states uh, through all of this. And so let's just kick it off. John Rush, we'll start with you. Of course, Rush to Reason out of Denver, Colorado. You guys are somewhat substantially north of where everything mm-hmm. was going on in Texas. Yes. But uh, your take on all of that. Yeah, and, and of course, for those that maybe don't realize, there's lots of other contributing factors to what happened in Texas that we'll get into outside right. of even the renewable thing, which I think also, e- even with that being said, I think is still very improper planning you know, on their part when it comes to some of this stuff. But no, yeah, Bob, we're, we're used to it. I mean, you know, we when, when Texas was... At that level of cold, you know, we were about 10 to 15 below at night, depending upon, you know, which day we're, we're, we're talking. So, you know, we're, we're, we're used to that stuff. We can get by with it. We, though, on the same token, are relying on 
you know, a certain amount of renewables. Fortunately, we've not gone as heavy as Texas has. And I like you, Bob. I'm, I'm, I'm a technology guy. You guys probably by now, anybody listening knows that I'm, I'm all for whatever we can do to advance things. I think that's one of the great things about capitalism and what it does. Although I will tell you that I don't think renewables fit into what I just said a moment ago because they've been forced not through capitalism, not through free trade, but through, you know, government from intervention and subsidies and things along those lines, which, by the way, I am not for. So it's not that I'm not for the technology that some of these things produce, but I am not for the mandates required by, you know, governmental agencies and, and you know, saying Texas, for example, you know, 25% of the power grid. And by the way, a lot of that's getting pushed by the power companies themselves because of what I just said a moment ago, which we can talk about. And I just don't think that's the way to do things. And I think it was very, very, uh, how should I say this, unwise on the part of those in charge of Texas's grid, which, by the way, four of those board members have now since resigned, which we can also talk about. I just think it was very irresponsible for them to do what they did there. And again, it's, it's costing lives. It has cost lives, I should say. Uh, as we speak, and, and it's just not the way things should be done, guys. Yeah. Uh, Roger, what's uh, your take? Of course, out in California, you know all too well the windmills, renewable energy, uh, certainly rolling blackouts that you guys have had to deal with for years, usually through the summer months. But uh, your take on what happened in Texas and how we assess it looking back and forward. Well, resonating with everything that John said and Bob that you said in your preamble, and uh, you know, it was only a matter of time before something like this was going to happen. I think the push for renewables has always been so admirable, you know. And this is one of the problems with progressive ideologies. I mean, we've seen this all happen before. They're based on intentions instead of motives, and as long as we feel good about them, no one really pays the, you know, the the, the piper at the end. They're, they're not thinking about what the cost is down the road. They're thinking about what the cost is right now. When the cost right now is, I feel so much better having all these turbines. I feel so much better that Texas, a state, you know, that's oil rich, has moved to 25%, you know, uh, renewables. Isn't that great? You see, we're making progress. But there's so many other market factors, as John mentioned, uh, you know, in terms of uh, the supply, demand, you know, what about those fossil fuels that are keeping things going? Uh, how much of our electricity is fossil fuel based? Um, it was only a matter of time before something like this happened. And I think that the, the people of Texas are standing around saying, look, since 2006, we have thrown $19 billion and subsidies toward renewables here in the great state of Texas. And 15 years later, it felt like half the state was shut down because of a deep freeze that really should have been a problem or, or problematic for us. So, um, But we've, we see this all in California before. As a matter of fact, we had a governor recalled over issues, things like that, uh, back in 2003 when Gray Davis had a variety of issues that were uh, put his head on the chopping block. And what we wound up with, unfortunately, was the governor, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, wound up winning uh, the gubernatorial spot. And a lot of the cap and tax and, you know, greenhouse-friendly uh, green laws that were enacted in California that have made us the regulation capital of the world um, came under his watch. So um, it's not that renewables are bad. I think most people would like the idea of moving ahead in that direction. The problem is if you can't pay for it, you wind up running the risk of something like this being inevitable, not, not hopefully uh, something we could avoid. Right. And uh, let's, let's go over to... Uh Neil Boron, Neil Q. Boron, of course, of Neil Boron Live out of Buffalo, New York. You guys got a lot of windmills and renewable energy uh, there in uh, in New York. And what's your take on the whole Texas thing? It's The whole renewable thing is definitely growing in New York. There's quite a few of those wind turbines situated on the eastern edge of Lake Erie. 
you know, and Lake Erie is a massive lake, right? I mean, you can drive for five hours and not get to the other end of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but right there, you know, on the south side of Buffalo, uh, there's some massive turbines. And then we have what what's called lake effect snow here. You probably heard the term, obviously. But, um, you know, in, in a pattern of where the wind generally blows across Buffalo and then heads off to the east to places like Rochester and stuff, in that entire corridor, there's wind turbines on farms and stuff. And it's kind of unsightly. I know we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Um, just the effect that even that's having on people's attitudes and emotions and stuff. It's kind of a weird phenomenon. But, uh, you know, my my take on this is, like, for all of the alleged responsibility we place on government, you know, the idea that we hope that they are doing good planning and stuff, this is, like, it's really kind of a nightmare. And by the way, I was watching the Weather Channel the other day, and they were highlighting the 10 greatest snowstorms and blizzards of all time. And I was hoping that Buffalo, New York, the blizzard of 1977, which I lived through, would have made the list. It didn't. They even included places like like Afghanistan and whatever. But several of those major blizzards that they listed in the top 10 happened right here in the U.S. And I was surprised that number one was a blizzard in 1899 that brought Arctic-like temperatures to the United States, including places like Texas. And I think uh, it was minus two degrees Fahrenheit in Tallahassee, Florida, as you can imagine you know, how far that Arctic blast stretched to the south. But my point in this is it isn't it isn't unprecedented for Texas to get cold weather. So how how there was no planning in advance for this is amazing. Thank you, Neil. This Thank is- you, Neil. I mean, I, I have I have family guys that live down there. So yeah, I know quite a bit about what happens weather-wise and so on. And yeah, they typically don't get as cold as they just did through this last snap. But, you know, I've, I've had family that has talked about snow in Houston and even snow in the past in Houston. I mean, I think to me, guys, this is this is so uh, unnerving that in the United States of America, the land of the free, the home of the brave and the home of no power because of stupid decisions <laughs> made by bureaucrats. I mean, yeah. th- th- we should not ever be in a situation in the United States of America on any of our soil where you do not have power out of a power grid. It is totally, totally, totally unacceptable, in my opinion. Absolutely. Yeah. Which, by the way, Neil, the, the reason for the big uh, uh, cold spell that you had in 1899, don't forget, was because of the SUVs and people violating their, <laughs> right. their ozone action days. So, you know, check your history, okay? Needed more solar panels, that's for <laughs> that, sure. That's more exactly what it was. I'll tell you yeah. what, let's, uh, let's do this. Uh, we're going to take a break. We're going to continue this discussion on the National Crawford Roundtable. Right now, though, I would like to ask everybody listening to prayerfully consider sponsoring a child through Compassion International for $38 a month. Now, Compassion International is a great uh, Christian ministry that's been around for 68 years, and folks are set up all over the world with over 7,000 child development centers in the poorest villages on the planet. These are the villages where you have entire families sleeping in huts, in shacks, dirt floors, no electricity, no running water, children begging for food, And then there's a compassion project right there nearby with a couple of hundred sponsored children in there that are having all the hot food they want every day, clean drinking water, medical care, being prayed with, taught about Jesus Christ, classroom education. But you know, somebody's paying 38 bucks a month for each of those kids. What I'm asking you to do right now, listening to this podcast, is sponsor one of these unsponsored children. And here's how easy it is. Go online right now to crawfordmediagroup.net. 
That's CrawfordMediaGroup.net and click on the compassion link and you'll see a bunch of pictures of unsponsored children. Follow the prompts. Sponsor a child. Be a hero today. Would you? $38 a month. We'd really appreciate it if you would do that. Continuing this National Crawford Roundtable podcast with myself, Bob Duco out of Detroit, Roger Marsh of the bottom line from the People's Republic of California, John Rush from Rush to Reason out of Denver, Colorado, Neil Boron of Neil Boron Live out of Buffalo, New York. Uh, We're talking about what happened last week with the power outages in Texas, the wind turbines, renewable energy. Coming up a little bit later on, by the way, in the second half of this podcast, uh, we're going to deal with... uh, Believe it or not, a phobia that's been medically defined that a growing number of people have to these wind turbines where they say they creep them out, fear fear them, give them anxiety and things like that. So that's coming up a little bit later on. Uh, Guys, in talking about what happened with the power outages last week, and you're absolutely right, Neil, what you were saying, and, and John especially, it is inexcusable that any state in the United States of America in 2021 should not have power for the people living there, let alone Texas of all places. Mm-hmm. Uh, John, you had mentioned briefly uh, at the beginning that, of course, there's multiple reasons, multiple things have factored into them losing their power the way that they did the power grids being overwhelmed. Uh, I mentioned the fact that you could take 23% of the energy in a state like Texas and make it dependent on the AOC dream of renewable energy. Uh, We're all for exploring new technologies, but we're not for being reckless and careless enough that we don't have reliable energy and you're left people left in the cold or sweltering heat. Why do you think it is that this happened in general? How much of it was that, the renewable energy thing, and how much of it were maybe other factors? Probably 50-50 in the way that I've looked at things and some of the things that I've read, and, and, and let me explain. So yes, the renewables, we all know that when it's as cold as it was and the, and the windmills were frozen up and the solar panels are covered in snow, that neither one of those are an effective output of of power, of energy. Now, on the same token, Texas has gone, in my opinion, and there's probably folks out there that maybe are better experts that might argue with me on this, but I think they've gone the, let's call it the cheap route. So in Colorado, guys, when we pull natural gas out of the ground, because natural gas has a certain amount of humidity or moisture in it, we dry that natural gas in places like Colorado, Wyoming, places where we're cold in the wintertime, so that we've always got reliable you know, gas, the, the pipes don't freeze, the pumps don't freeze, nothing happens, everything flows, and away we go. Well, in Texas, they, I guess because of what we're talking about now and the fact they don't think it ever gets cold there, uh, they don't do that. They don't spend that extra money to actually dry their gas. So in turn, what we had last week was not only the renewables shutting down, but we actually had regular, you know, petroleum-based products, natural gas being one of those that actually was shut down to a large extent also because of what I just said. They don't dry their gas, uh, therefore things froze up. And again, I think this is mentality of it never gets cold in Texas, so why do we need to worry about these things? I mean, I get the cost-benefit analysis, but if you're going to run your grid off of 25% renewables and you're maybe going to run another 25% off natural gas, which I think, guys, my figures are pretty close, wouldn't you think that you'd want to make sure natural gas is going to run at all times, knowing that that other 25% is going to go away, which now means you're relying on coal and nuclear for really 100% of your power, which the other thing we, we could get into talking about is they wanted to up 
the nuclear and the coal, especially side of the fence, but the feds would not allow them to do so on the emissions side. That's a whole other conversation, by the way. Right. Which you do wonder, uh, why does something like this happen on the watch in Texas? I mean, you got Greg Abbott, who's a Republican. You got uh, John Cornyn and Ted Cruz as the senators there. And this is the kind of nonsense, honestly, that I would expect to see in a uh, right. a place like California. Well, no, yeah. no offense, Roger. Uh, you don't expect to see something like this in Texas. You're correct. And, and what I'm baffled by is, you know, most everybody out there knows what I do for a living outside of radio, which is, you know, we take care of properties, plow snow, do things like that. So, you know, about a month, a little over a month ago now, uh, there was a shift in the weather on the polar cap. Part of it divided off. Uh, they were you know, were making claims that, hey, this thing's going to shift south. It's going to affect a, a good portion of the United States with some very cold, extreme weather. So, you know, over a month ago, probably five, six weeks ago, I got on the phone with all of my people that in my business said, hey, guys, guess what? You know, chances are we're going to have some really cold weather coming down the pike. Let's make sure we've got everything prepped on our end because even in my business, there's things we need to do differently when it gets that cold, even in operating equipment and things along those lines. So, hey, I want to make sure that we're prepared or ready to go. We've got everything handled. I I'm questioning whether that conversation in Texas, by the way, ever took place. And my gut feeling is it didn't. I'm just a lowly old property, you know, maintenance company, and I'm looking at this stuff. But evidently, people that are in charge of, you know, 25 plus million people in Texas didn't do the same thing. I know. I know. It is. Uh, it, it is baffling. I, uh, you know, Roger. I mentioned you. One of the things I, I want to ask about is is the the environmental movement itself and the influence that they have. That I would argue is is pretty reckless and stupid, frankly. I mean, we got the Keystone mm -hmm. Pipeline deal that's being killed now. Okay, well, uh, guess what? Oil is still going to be transferred from Canada to Texas. That's going to happen. It's just, it's going to happen by train. It's going to happen by truck, which, by the way, are more vulnerable to spills. The environmentalists should be upset about that. <laughs> exactly. Uh, instead of running it through a nice, secure pipeline. So we got that issue. But then we got the stuff that you deal with out in California. You guys know rolling blackouts better than anybody. Yep. And it's not just that. You look at the, every time there's a forest fire, okay? What do we hear? Oh, this is because of global warming. But wait a minute here. Maybe if we practice proper forest management, thinning of the forests and, and clearing out some of the underbrush, uh, maybe just maybe those fires wouldn't spread as fast as they do. So it, it seems like the environmental movement actually wreaks more havoc uh, when they get their way. They, they really do. And, you know, to that point about the brush, I mean, PG&E is paying off billions of dollars in settlements right now simply because the Pacific Gas and Electric transponders and they're, you know, the, they, they're so surrounded by overgrowth, you know, in this underbrush, even the slightest spark will torch tens of thousands right. of acres and yet you're not going to cut anything down. But then the, 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 the famine or feast part of it is there's also a movement in Laguna Beach right now to just remove 87% of the trees in the city because they don't want to have to deal with it instead of maintaining them. Maintenance is a real pain for people but when you think about texas and john's point i think is excellent and to dovetail on that too when you have electric plants and the electric plants had been getting their fuel from natural gas and coal and things like that and then you start moving toward the renewables and all of a sudden say okay well now we're going to be 23 24 25 percent renewable energy then that means that you're not relying on the coal and the natural gas to make sure that there's enough electricity in the plants and so when you have a huge spike in demand like they had during the cold snap and you have a huge dip in the supply because they're not using the uh, the proper you know, tools that like natural gas and coal to actually generate the 
electricity. That's something that I think the environmental movement and progressives on the whole miss. As they say, hey, wait a minute. Okay, we want to go green. We want these electric cars and everything's going to be fine. But are we producing enough electricity on the whole to actually power them? You know, I mean, they don't realize no. that something like 40% of the uh, renewable energy or the electricity you know, that's generated here for these cars comes from coal and natural gas. So if you're sitting there saying, I'm going to cut this back and I'm going to make sure it's green, it's kind of like saying, you know, uh, I was driving a car to work for many, many years and now I'm going to ride a bicycle because that's going to, you know, save, save money and it's going to save the environment. Okay, it also adds a ton of time to my commute because now I'm pedaling right. four miles an hour instead right. of driving 65 on the freeway. But they don't factor in the difference of the time it's like well ride your bike what do you mean you can't get here in 30 minutes well you know that therein lies the rub so there are some huge gaps in this whole equation here that i think we are now taking a look at and saying why in the heck weren't you drying the natural gas why in the heck weren't you making sure that the renewables which are notorious the turbines look fantastic anybody uh, bottom line listeners who drive through palm springs and see that big old farm out there by the the 111 uh, interchange where there's just all these plates and half the time they work and half the time they don't but a lot of people think wow that's that's powering all of the city of Palm Springs. No, it's not. Not even close. You know, but, right. but it was taking the Solyndra money, you know, that was came from the previous administration a couple of administrations back and basically just burning a hole with it. So, it's a nice theory to say that we could replace electricity with uh, take the coal and natural gas off the table and make it all renewable generated, but it doesn't generate it effectively and hence you know, what happens when you get a cold snap like Texas. Yeah, I, have so a, I have a question for you guys along those same lines, too, which most people you well, know, do, do me a favor. Hold on to that Go question, ahead. if you would. Okay, I know we do got to take one more quick break here. OK. And then I want to get that question out on the table for all of us from uh, uh, John. We are going to continue, folks, this National Crawford Roundtable uh, here in just a minute. But I, I do want to take a moment right now before we continue, everybody, and just remind you that as we discuss this as we discuss renewable energy and we'll get into global warming and just all that kind of stuff. Uh, you got starving children around the world, folks. They're not thinking about any of this. They're not listening to this podcast. You know what they're doing right now? If I can tug at your heartstrings a little bit, they are literally crying because their stomachs hurt because they haven't had anything to eat. Not today, not yesterday. In some cases, multiple days. And in some cases, they literally die of starvation. Right? This is what children are living like around the world right now. And they don't know Jesus Christ on top of it. If you sponsor a child today through Compassion International, it's going to cost you 38 bucks a month. Okay, That's a buck and a quarter a day. But you can go to bed every night knowing that there's one less hungry child in the world. And that child will know you by name, writing letters to you, coloring pictures for you. You can write letters back. And you can go to bed every night knowing that child is having all the hot food they want every single day and clean drinking water and medical care and being prayed with and taught about the Lord, given a Bible in their own language, in classrooms being educated. And it's your $38 a month that's providing that. Would you sponsor a child right now, everybody? Here's what you do. Just go online to crawfordmediagroup.net. That's crawfordmediagroup.net. And you'll see right there the compassion link. Click on that. And there's a whole bunch of pictures of unsponsored children. Sponsor one of them, or two, or whatever you can afford to do. But go now, please, crawfordmediagroup.net. Continuing this Crawford uh, National Crawford Roundtable podcast with Neil Boron, Roger Marsh, John Rush, myself, Bob Duco. We're talking about what happened in Texas and the renewable mm-hmm. energy debate. And, uh, John, you wanted to uh, throw a question on the table. Yeah, yeah, I want to throw a question to you guys because you'll never hear this statistic in the press. And this is a real-world statistic because you guys probably don't know this, but I actually own – 
an electric car. I've, I bought it for uh, purposes that we're now talking about where I can actually learn about them. You know, what are the pros, the cons, the ins and outs? And I feel like I know a lot more about electric vehicles than the majority of the press does just because I own one and operate one. It can tell most folks, you know, how they work and so on. But one thing that I did find out as well as most people don't know, how much power do you think it takes for me to run my electric vehicle in relation to what an average household uses in a month's time? How much of that do you think I use on an electric vehicle on a monthly basis? And I, by the way, this vehicle that I drive is pretty average, 15,000 miles a year, just about what everybody else drives in the country. That's kind of where the stats are is about twelve to 15,000 miles a year. But how much power do you think I use as far as the average household goes on a month? And you're talking about the average household, not an Al Gore mansion. Right. That's right. Right. The average, <laughs> okay. the average U.S. median house, as far as the power it uses, how much of that do you think I use to power my electric car? Neil, you want to take a shot? I'm just going to say 50 percent because I have no idea. Uh, I, same thing here. With, I, I got no point of reference to operate off of. You, you could tell me 5 percent. You could tell me 80 percent. I wouldn't be shocked by either one. So I just also I'll, no I'll say 60 just to throw the curve off. Okay. It's a, well, I'll it's tell you, you know what? I, I should I should stick I should stick my neck out a little bit. Fifty percent wasn't bad, but if you're talking about operating that electric vehicle, fifteen thousand miles a year versus the electricity in your home, uh, uh, a third, I'll say. Okay. Well, you uh, Roger's closest. I use about seventy five percent electricity of what the median household would use across the country to power one electric vehicle. So back to Roger's point a moment ago about how they're in Tesla has said this, the head of Toyota has said this, wow. there's not enough power in the grid right now. If we switched even a third of the driving public over to electric cars, there's wow. not enough power in the grid to even do a third, nonetheless replace everything. And guys, this is stuff that you will not hear anywhere in the press. One, because A, I don't think they want you to hear it. Two, I'm not sure they know because the majority of these folks don't have any idea of what I just talked about a moment ago. So there's a lot of you listening to this podcast that have probably heard this for the first time here because no one in the press talks about this stuff. All right. We are halfway through the podcast, folks. And what we're going to do is continue this conversation in the second half. And if you want to listen to the second half of this podcast, you can do it online. Go to CrawfordMediaGroup.net. You can, of course, also go to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and more. We'd love it if you would review the podcast. Give us a nice five-star review. And of course, if you go to CrawfordMediaGroup.net, click on that Compassion International link. Okay, Sponsor one of those children there through Compassion International. But we're going to continue the second half of this podcast next. This has been a Crawford Broadcasting production. Continuing the second half of the National Crawford Roundtable with Neil Boron of Neil Boron Live out of Buffalo, New York, Roger Marsh of The Bottom Line from the People's Republic of California, John Rush, Rush to Reason out of Denver, Colorado, myself, Bob Duco, Bob Duco Show out of Detroit. Uh, we're talking about renewable energies, uh, the, the uh, windmill, the, the wind turbine power outage issues that happened in Texas and surrounding states from last week, uh, where we go forward with this, how we make sure that uh, stuff like this does not happen again. And, you know, John, it's interesting, those, uh, what you were talking about uh, just before the, the half. Uh, so you have an electric car, and that electric car, and you don't drive like crazy, average 15,000 miles a year, Correct. that electric car uh, eats up 75% of what the electric bill is in just your average standard home correct. just for one car in the garage? Correct. That's correct. 
Okay. And, and for everybody listening, just so you know, no, I don't own a Tesla. I actually own a Chevy Bolt. That's with a B, not the Volt, but a Bolt, a B-O-L-T. Mm-hmm. And you know, we could do a whole show just on the pros and cons of electric vehicles that you know I could share with a lot of individuals because there's tons and tons of misconception when it comes to electric vehicles and you know how they operate and you know who can and i will tell you right now guys the average american can't even own an electric vehicle for multiple reasons that we could get into on another podcast maybe because it it is really a vehicle that the middle to upper middle incomes and above uh, own you're you're not going to find an average person owning electric vehicle it's just not practical at this point in time nor is it feasible electric grid wise to do this as we've talked about in that last half hour uh, it's it's just it's it's unfeasible. So when you hear these people talk about going, you know, electrifying, you know, General Motors, let's electrify the fleet. You know, let's do all these different things to, to make sure everybody's driving an electric vehicle. Really, guys, what I think they're saying at the end of the day is I think they know there's not enough power to go around. And I think what they're really saying is, you know, we want you to buy a vehicle that you can use on a intermittent basis. And you're going to have to find other modes of transportation back to Roger's point a few minutes ago. You know, you're going to find other modes of transportation to go from A to B because, frankly, you're not going to drive a vehicle like you once did if we electrify you. And and to me, by by the way, guys, this is all population control as far as I'm concerned. Right. The car for America has always meant freedom. It's it's meant you know for the ability for us to go to and fro anywhere we want, anytime we want. It's it's America. We can go state to state, coast to coast, whatever we want to do. It's freedom. That's what the car has meant in the United States of America. And frankly, guys, I look at the electrifying of that as taking that freedom away and I think that's part of their end goal you know maybe the answer is to for somebody to invent uh, a car maybe Elon Musk needs to modify one of the car, one of his cars to have a, a giant wind turbine on top of it okay and then somehow it can generate its own uh, Neil I want to I want to ask you a, a question Neil Neil Boron of course uh, how do we as Christians how do we properly contextualize and understand the, the entire environmentalism movement, because I, I know I'm pretty resistant to it, but that doesn't mean we don't want clean water, don't want clean air and such. But the whole global warming thing, it seems like it's become a religion. We were talking with Roger earlier about uh, the, the forest management problems out there. You know, we can't clear away the brush. We can't thin the forest because, after all, we don't want to accidentally take away the natural habitat of the Norwegian spotted cricket or whatever. Uh, but uh, we'll go ahead and let you know, hundreds and millions of acres of land burn and such. There comes a point where, as Christians, we got to stand up and say, you know what, enough is enough. This is moving into a borderline earth worship idolatry. It's become a religion. I really think this whole global warming slash climate change slash extreme weather slash environmental justice or whatever – I think it's a bunch of hot air. I think it's a bunch of hooey, and it seems like the, there's almost a religious zeal that its adherents seem to have. Well, I'm going to say something in a second that some of our listeners and maybe you will find controversial. But before I do, I'm just curious. I, I got diverted a minute for a minute or two earlier. Somebody came in during the early part of the podcast. So I don't know if anybody said this, but did anyone notice that the Biden administration's response to Texas was to send diesel generators to help out? Oh, yeah. Catch <laughs> oh, yeah. The fossil fuel industry completely bailed out uh, these wind turbines. Yeah. I mean, it's hilarious to me. It's well, when, when he finally no. got around six days into it to calling the governor for the first time, uh, and then the, the, the Washington Post praised him for his his hands-off approach and allowing the states to handle themselves and not making himself the center of focus and attention like Donald Trump <laughs> did. It's like, you've got to be kidding. I'm sorry, I digress. Anyway. Uh, yeah, yeah, Neil. Uh, you know, I'll, 
I don't know really how to respond because uh, I agree with much of what you just said. But on the other hand, as much as I think that progressives and the left and others have made this whole uh, climate change question uh, an earth worship kind of thing, you know, and by the way, that's, I think, why so many conservatives and Christians, you know, pull back from it. Um, I also see, or it seems to me that, that we have an entire hands-off approach in the body of Christ on stewarding our planet, you know, taking care of what God has entrusted to us. I was reading um, the other day, you know, the parable of the talents, and the, the talents that were entrusted, the five talents, equaled about two and a half years' worth of income. So it was no small thing. I mean, if somebody comes to you and says, hey, can you can you hang on to a quarter million dollars for me? And then, you know, what are you going to do with it? I, I think I'd put it in a bank, whatever. I would probably not invest it because I'm not a risk taker like John Rush or something like that. And, you know, uh, anyway, my point is God has entrusted the earth to us and we're supposed to steward it. So that's that came from him. And I just, I never hear any sermons about it. I don't hear, you know, Bible studies written on it, a couple books here and there. But I, I think it's one place where maybe uh, conservatives and or Christians could engage in some, you know, bipartisan dialogue with the other side to say, hey, look, at yeah, we, we do care. Because I think that there's an understanding from our part that, that there's people out there like worshiping the earth, that this has become a god to them. It's become a religion, and that ought to be a great concern. But on the other hand, I think there's some who look at us saying, are you kidding me? You don't care at all? So I, I don't know. I'm kind of torn on it, and yet I lean way towards the way that you described it, Bob. I'm, I'm 100% for the fact that, that I think that people are off the rails, you know, about this uh, climate change stuff and all of the policies that make no sense, like John Rush described. I mean, if we really went to total electric cars, maybe there's people out there thinking, well, we've heard in the news that, you know, climate change is a problem and this would be a wonderful thing for our country. It would also completely destroy our power grid. We wouldn't be able to function as a nation if we went in that direction that quickly. And so, mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I think it well, it raises some questions as much as providing answers. Let, so, Roger, let me give you a chance to respond to this. And I know we got to go into a break here, Roger. But uh, I, I guess the question becomes, how do we define what it means to be a steward of the earth? Because if I have to buy into the AOC Paris Climate Accord global warming hysteria to be considered a, a steward of the earth, then I'm going to disagree. Uh, that that to me isn't isn't what it means to be a steward of the earth. Uh, but uh, how do we how do we look at this and uh, to the point that that uh, Neil is making? Well, I think we're actually on a good path for that. And why don't we take a break and then we come back? We can kind of keep wandering down this path on this edition of the National Crawford Roundtable podcast. Doctor Michael Yusuf leads the way for people living in spiritual darkness to discover the light of Jesus Christ. This tremendous outreach begins with the proclamation of God's Word through the uncompromising biblical teaching of Dr. Michael Yusuf. Leading the Way is here to equip and strengthen the church to stand strong and to advance the gospel in today's ever-changing world. Listen to Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Yusuf at ltw.org listen, and be sure to mention you heard about their program on the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast. Welcome back to the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast, along with Bob Duco, Neil Boron, John Rush. I'm Roger Marsh, and we're talking about environmental concerns that uh, basically our dis topic of discussion uh, started with the whole Texas deep freeze and, and the renewable push and, and that whole sort of thing. I, I, I'm really resonating with what everyone here is saying at the table, and I think part of the reason why uh, we are you know drawing more and more people to this podcast is because we'll have this conversation I, I met a guy a few months ago his name is Tri Robinson and he's a, a pastor but he also as a 
rancher farmer he's got a you know a cattle ranch out somewhere in wyoming montana and he um was part of the jesus people movement so he's in his early 70s now and he 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 calls himself a cowboy and a preacher um and actually there's a documentary about his life that was made not too long ago and he we were talking about the environmental movement and why so many christians eschew it and it, it's purely political you know if you remember back to the 1970s and the zero population growth and you know everything if you were an environmentalist it also meant you were pro-abortion because you wanted to control the population you know so that there were a lot of people who were kind of linked into that i think mm-hmm. that, neil to you the reason you gave is is excellent a lot of people in the body of christ say look I know we have a care, a command to care for creation, but at the same time, the way this conversation has veered off the rails, what could I possibly do to influence it? I mean, to John's point about the uh, use of electric vehicles, so many people just, you know, lock, stock, and barrel. I'm saving the planet because I'm driving a hybrid, you know, whatever. Well, let's, let's face it, 600,000 federal vehicles are all going to become electric under Joe Biden's regime, and we don't have enough to power those. I mean, how many millions of cars do we have? It's a completely illogical argument. So rather yes. than push away from the table, I think one of the things that we can bring, first and foremost, is reasoned conversation and even debate and discussion about, okay, we all agree, you know, let, let's get some bottom line issues here. First and foremost, we're supposed to care for creation. Amen. That let, Let's not just put it all on the government. Second, there are some resources we could apply to it. But then third, can we just be honest about the monopolies that are working behind the scenes to try to get, you know, the mass production of whatever it is? But John, your point, I, I hadn't really considered, but it, it's it's excellent. The idea that the that the the government really is trying to take your freedom away in the sense that mm-hmm. they're going to tell you what to drive, where you can drive it, and how long you can drive it. I mean, that's that, those are things that these are conversations that need to be had. And so I, it's not a, a a pithy here's three things we can do, uh, you know, to to solve the problem. But I think even just the fact that this kind of conversation can hopefully spawn other conversations that would lead to action on that, I think, is essential. Well, and Roger, you're so right. It's got to be conversations. But, John, how do we handle the fact that we can't even have this conversation or we're shut down, we're censored, we're silenced because we don't believe in science if you're not on the global warming bandwagon? Uh, You're a conspiracy theorist if you talk about government trying to take too much control of our lives. Uh, So it's like the other side doesn't even want to engage in a conversation with us. It's compliance or censorship. And they won't. But guys, by the way, I've been saying this since the Priuses came out. As you all know, I started in radio on a car show that I still do on Saturdays where we just talk cars and I answer questions and problems and things like that. I've been doing that for a very, very long time. And even when the Priuses came out, and and it still holds true today, by the way, if anyone thinks they're buying any new car, Prius my my Chevy Bolt, a Tesla, thinking that you're somehow saving the planet, first of all, that, that is such a pipe dream because I've done the math. You could literally drive the car you own until you go to the grave and not use the amount of oil and energy it takes to build any new car, especially an electric car with all the rare earth metals that go into it as far as the battery components are concerned. So the reality, guys, is, and I've put this challenge out since, since then, it's been, the challenge has been on the table for probably 20 years now, that if anybody can prove what I just said is wrong, please do so. I've yet, yet to have a single taker take me up on that because the reality is the math is in my favor. And you cannot buy any new car thinking that you're saving the planet. You could drive your 10 mile to the gallon Ford F-250 from now until, you know, until you go to the grave and not use the energy that it takes to build any new car. So, 
you know, we start talking about Christians and, and what do we do when it comes to being stewards of the earth and so on. And I'm not saying, by the way, don't ever buy a new car because of what I just said. All I'm saying is put things into perspective. And if you think that you're saving the planet by doing X, chances are you haven't saved anything. In fact, you may have made it worse. So it really comes down to how are we in our own environment taking care of things? How are we taking care of the earth that God's given to us? You know, mm-hmm. my dad taught me years ago that we leave this place better than, than we found it. That includes if you're out camping, if you're fishing, if you're hunting, no matter what, if you're walking alongside of the road and there's a piece of trash, pick it up. I mean, those are the types of things, you know, that I think we should be focused on. When it comes to how we produce energy and live our lives, you know, the reality is, and we've talked about this many times on the show as well, a lot of the things that the left is trying to get rid of actually, at the end of the day, actually help our environment not hurt it, and yet that all we hear about is how bad we are. Right. So true. Uh, all right. We're going to shift gears and move into a different direction. But before we do, I just want to make sure that, that does anybody else have anything that they want to say about the renewable energies, uh, the environmentalist movement, uh, the whole global warming, climate change debate or anything like that? We just throw it out on the table real quick if there's any caps anybody wants to put on this before we move on. No, I'm good. That that dead air I'm going to take as a no. So. <laughs> So uh, here's where I want to shift the conversation now as we kind of wind down this this podcast. And this is going to seem a, a little bit like a, a silly topic to have, but I'm really curious to get you guys' uh, take on something that I was debating with my audience actually last week when the whole Texas thing was going on with the wind turbines. Uh, I had a friend of mine tell me that when uh, when she sees those – wind turbines, those big white wind turbines, she says she feels creeped out. She feels anxiety. She feels fear. It triggers panic attacks in her. She's like, I hate those things. They're just scary to look at. And I go, what are you talking about? What's so scary about them? I mean, I, I, don't, I don't understand that. So uh, I did a little bit of research and I went to Reddit and some other places and I was amazed at the amount of people that all say, oh, I thought I was alone in this thing. Those things give me nightmares. They there's like they trigger seeing them triggers in a growing number of people this psychological emotional response of fear, panic. People are saying, "I see them. I start shaking and I throw up and I have nightmares and I and it just scares the death out of them." And, and sure enough, it turns out. I I know, I I get it. uh, So it turns out that the medical community has actually given a name to this. Anemomenophobia. Anemomenophobia is the fear of big wind turbines. Uh, And so here's what I was trying to to, to figure out. Uh, And maybe you guys can help me through this. Uh, I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, is it possible that there's some kind of a strange spiritual discernment kind of issue that there's some kind of demonic connectivity to these things in some way that's triggering a a discerning of spirits. Now, uh, I've talked about stuff like that before, and and we all know that there are some things that can be – like, for example, quick anecdote, 
You know those shiny orbs that people have in their front yards that, that it was decorative things? Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is, but when those first started coming on the scene, I said to my wife, I don't know what it is about those orbs, but I see them and they give me an uneasy feeling. Like, a, a, I don't know what it, like a, a feeling of tension and, and unease. And I don't know what that is. Almost like, if I can use Christian language here, a check in my spirit. Something's not right about this. And sure enough, I research and I find out that they are very, very common in pagan practices, witchcraft, Wicca, things like this. You go into any pagan or Wiccan store and they've got those orbs all over the place. It's like, well, you know what? Maybe there's some kind of a Mm -hmm. discerning of the Holy Spirit type thing. So I'm like, is it possible that that could explain that there's something about that with these windmills? But on Reddit and such... Most of the people on there weren't Christians. You know, there were people using the F-bombs and everything else about these things. So then I'm like, well, maybe it's just a psychological thing that they see these long arms like some kind of alien tentacle type thing. And it's so otherworldly looking in its freakish nature that it causes them to feel like there's a giant 200-foot spider coming after them. You know, I, I mean, I don't know. It seems like it would be more psychological than spiritual. But the bottom line... I was shocked to find out how many people are, quote, creeped out by sure. these things. And so I just kind of like to to go around the table. And, John, if I could start with you, and I, I know we got to take yeah, a break take here a break. Uh, yeah. again also, yeah. Sean, John, but uh, your thoughts. Let's do that. We'll take a quick break, and I'll give you my thoughts. This is the National Crawford Roundtable. Dr. James Dobson left a successful career in academia to preserve and promote the biblical family in America. The radio broadcasting ministry of Dr. Dobson spans over four decades, earning him 17 honorary doctorate degrees and an induction into the National Radio Hall of Fame. Today, Dr. Dobson continues to champion marriage and parenthood through Family Talk. Listen every weekday at drjamesdobson.org and be sure to reference the National Crawford Roundtable podcast when asked how you listen to Family Talk. And we're back, National Crawford Roundtable, myself, Bob Neal, and Roger and and Bob, I, you know, some of these people maybe they've got more you know intuition than I do on the spiritual side. I don't look at those windmills in that light. Although, what I said a, a little bit ago, and, and bear with me here, guys, but this is my fear of things like solar panel windmills and things along those lines. And by the way, electric cars to boot. You know, the freedom of movement, which to me is a big deal for the United States of America. By the way, I think it's a big deal for any human being. And the best way to control a populace is to really uh, get rid of freedom of movement, make them stay in one place. It's much easier to control. We could talk Agenda 21 sometime on this show because there's a lot of things I think that get pushed out by the UN to do exactly what I just said. But when I see those windmills and even solar panels, the biggest thing I think is there's a limited supply now. Anytime we have a limited supply, i.e. we've seen this even through coronavirus and other things, the government then steps in and controls the supply of that said product. And if we get the point where they're controlling how much electricity you're even able to use in a month's time and you're now relying upon an electric vehicle to go to and fro, they really could control your movement in a very you know easy one fell swoop, if you would, and so when I see a windmill, I, I think of those things in the back of my mind. I'm not fearful of those things because, you know, there's some things I think we can do in the meantime to combat that. But, yeah, I, I guess at the end of the day, Bob, I could see how some people would see it that way. Yeah. What do you get? Uh, Neil, what do you think? When you see those things, do you, do you feel some sense of, I'm going to have a nightmare tonight that some giant alien <laughs> is coming after me? Not, not that bad, but oddly, um, they do kind of creep me out a little bit. See, a I lot of people say that. It's I, interesting. I, I can't explain it. Like, I 
we do some jet skiing at a place called Crystal Beach in Ontario. I mean, WDCX is in Buffalo, New York. We're one hop across the Peace Bridge from Fort Erie, Ontario. So I literally, you know, when I'm at work, I'm, I'm five minutes from Canada. But we'll go over to uh, Crystal Beach, do some uh, uh, jet skiing. But when we, when we do, once you get out into the water, you can kind of see around the bend a little bit. You're looking at the city of Buffalo in the distance. But to the right of Buffalo, just south and east of it, are these wind turbines. And they're kind of creepy looking. And even traveling through the countryside, uh, like I said, you know, they, they, they're on a sort of a corridor path between Buffalo and Rochester. Um, as you pass those things on farms, they're huge. I mean, I think from the, the, the total height, the top of a blade from the ground is like 380 feet. The, the one single blade is 120 feet long. I saw one actually being uh, transported down the thruway one time. It was on the back of some kind of double tandem trailer because it's 120 feet long. The average truck is, I think, 53 feet long in the bed, something like that. John might know the answer to that. But anyway, um, I mean, these things are massive. Uh, so maybe it's just their overall size. I'm not sure, but I, I don't like the look of them. I'm not afraid of them. I don't throw up. I don't have nightmares. Right. But when I see them, I don't like them and I don't want them around. That's how 325. So you lay one of those things down. It's the entire length of a football field, uh, end well, zones included. One single blade is 120 feet long. But the point yeah, is, I'm talking about the whole thing, yeah, the whole thing. Because, because it's raised up in the air, you know, from the ground to the highest point of the tip as it's going around, it's 380 feet. Three hundred. So it's yeah. So it's long. So yeah, basically, you lay that. Field. Yeah, like right. you you could prop the thing up between the goalposts, and each end would still be going into the crowd right. on yeah, either end. Right, right. Uh, that, those things are uh, big. Roger, what do you big. think? You know what? What, what Neil said about uh, you know they kind of creep me out to look at them. I was amazed how many callers into my show was like, you know what? I trust in the Lord. There's no logic behind this, but they give me a creepy. They creep me out uh, to mm. to look at them. Uh, and then other people are like, what are you talking about? It's a big hunk of metal. It doesn't right. have any kind of emotional effect on me whatsoever. What, what do you think is behind that? Well, I, you know, it, 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 to each their own, I guess. I mean, I, I, I've seen them for so many years. I mean, as I mentioned, the, the Palm Springs area where they've got a huge uh, collection of them. And that's something that I think for me, they're not near the home. They're not in places where, you know, I would look at them on a daily basis and say, wow, that kind of freaks me out. In all honesty, where my mind goes with that, first and foremost, is how much electricity are they generating? Are they really, you know, useful right. for that purpose? And then, of course, then there's that little sinister side of me. What happens when they stop working? What do, do, Are we able to recycle these things and crush them down and build them into new ones? And, oh, by the way, let's not forget the reports from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service about the number of birds who meet their ultimate demise. In those yeah, where's now, PETA? Where's right? PETA? I mean, seriously, I mean, <laughs> I, I thought this was a joke, but this is apparently for Dateline October 1st, 2020, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service estimates that the, the during the last year, the number of bird deaths because of wind turbines between 140 and 500,000 birds every year get destroyed wow, and, and wow. that that's a huge toll in and of itself to say okay wait a minute here in california we dump tens of millions of gallons of water perfectly good rainwater into the ocean because there might be 10 delta smelt fish still alive in the state <laughs> and the idea is the rainwater washing into the ocean will wash them back to their natural habitat no one's seen a delta smelt in 25 years but we have laws because by golly we're going to be green instead of golden but I, it, it, it hasn't had the impact on me, but I, as I'm listening to you guys have the conversation about it, it makes me wonder how many people really are impacted by this. And I'd say statistically, quite a few. You know, Bob, uh, let me jump in yeah. real quick. I, I, don't, I don't know 
at all about anything spiritual or demonic, you know, attached to it. But I do think because they're so massive, and if especially in the countryside, when you look out over rolling hills and you see a hundred of these things for twenty miles, right? Mm-hmm. They they don't fit that they don't they don't fit the landscape. They're not supposed to be there. So in a way. It kind of looks like an alien invasion. And again, I'm not afraid of it. I just don't like it. It's like, it doesn't belong there. Get these things out of right. here. What are, See, what that, do we need? Alien invasion. That's that's what I had several callers say. Yeah, it's like alien invasion is what it feels like to me. But then I'll tell you what, one of them that I asked just says, when we drive out in the country or you know, there's the hills and the, 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 the natural landscape. And then we see a bunch of telephone poles or a bunch of uh, I know, you know, I know. electric, you know, the electric wire grids up or whatever. We don't necessarily freak out over those, even though that certainly is a contrast, the technological contrast to the natural habitat. But there's <laughs> something about those giant windmills that make people go, ooh, yeah, alien invasion. Uh, can, can I jump in here for just a second? Please. The power lines, Please. that's a whole different conversation. When you're walking down a sidewalk or going for a run, going for a ride, and there's all those power lines and you can hear the electricity going right there. Oh, I, I feel like I feel like a sci-fi movie. Which, just, by the way, what about it the, there. Isn't there, shouldn't there be maybe, Roger, a question about what level of, I know this is a whole EMP kind of discussion here, but what about electromagnetic uh, kind of uh, e- emissions from these things as well. You hear, you get near one of those giant wind turbines, and the humming that's coming from that thing. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want one in in my backyard. I'm not a tin hat, you know, tin foil hat guy, but I don't, you know, I, I just wonder what kind of electromagnetic effect effect that could potentially have on the the the, the neuro frequencies in your brain of the human. I mean, I don't even know now. I'm, Gone down crazy land, but how healthy can this be for poor Arnold Ziffel's family on that farm? Or Randy Quaid in Vegas Vacation. I mean, you yeah, know, well, like this. Like got he, some great government like land he for lived you. Inside one of those. For a while. <laughs> <laughs> he certainly did, but I, I don't like it. But my, I, I got to tell you, we have these here in the People's Republic. I don't know if you have them uh, in the other parts of the country that we're representing here. But the signs near the power lines that say, "If you come across a down power line, please don't pick it up." Wow, thanks. We're, I'm waiting for more signs to say, and by the way, please don't play on the freeway. You know, I mean, nanny state 101, but I'm sure someone's making a fortune off of all those signs here in the People's Republic of California. Well, that's, I, I think we have that same kind of stupidity just about everywhere. Thank you for exporting it to the rest of us. It's our pleasure. Uh, it's another National Crawford Roundtable podcast uh, in the bank, everybody. We always appreciate you folks listening. We do. And we appreciate you uh, giving us all the five-star reviews that we have received. Thanks so much. If you haven't done that already, uh, do that if you would. You can go to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and more. You can also go to CrawfordMediaGroup.net. CrawfordMediaGroup.net. You can listen to past archive shows. When you are at CrawfordMediaGroup.net, click on that Compassion International link. Okay, sponsor a child when you're there as well. And Neil Boron of Neil Boron Live from Buffalo, New York. Roger Marsh of The Bottom Line from the People's Republic of California. John Rush of Rush to Reason out of Denver, Colorado. Myself, Bob Duco, The Bob Duco Show out of Detroit. Gentlemen, always great catching up with you. Thank you uh, so much for another great week. Looking forward to next week. Thanks, Likewise, guys. guys. Thanks, Thanks Bob. Hey, we'll see you. Thanks for listening, everybody. God bless. You've been listening to the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast, a view of today's culture through a biblical lens, brought to you by Compassion International a worldwide ministry bringing hope and Jesus to children in need. Visit CrawfordMediaGroup.net and click on the Compassion logo to sponsor a child.
You can download this podcast from Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and more, and it's also available at CrawfordMediaGroup.net. You can give this podcast a five-star rating on your Apple app, and be sure to look for the notification on your National Crawford Roundtable podcast app for when the next weekly edition is ready for you to hear. This has been a Crawford Media Group production.